0: Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and Achievable has an affordable GRE course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can try it out for free by visiting achievable.me, and if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Lindsay Sage from Sage Admit, on the line with us. And Lindsay, I'd love if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your company.
1: Hi Tyler, I'm so excited to be here today. Um, yes, hello everyone, I am Lindsay Sage. I'm the founder of Sage Admit. It is a play on my last name, Sage, a boutique consulting firm where I help clients around the world with their applications to business school. So I do everything from you know help them identify a school list to producing great essays, to preparing for interviews, Uh, My background is in MBA admissions, which really allows me to understand the application in full. I worked at NYU Stern and prior to that worked at Columbia University. I'm based just outside of New York City and I meet my clients remotely.
0: Very cool. Yeah. And so today we're going to be talking about just going over really the, the basics of a strong MBA application, right? I think that a good chunk of the people listening are probably while, you know, this is a GRE podcast. They're probably MBA applicants, right? That's become a lot more common in recent years. Mm. And I feel like, uh, this this is, just going to be great to kind of get the things that are different than your undergrad college applications. And also even the things that are maybe different from applying to different types of graduate programs that make the MBA application unique.
1: Yeah. So, So that's right. It is unique in the sense that this is a very professional degree, right? So they're expecting that people have, that applicants have three to five years of work experience. So whereas if you compare it to, say, medical school or law school, they're really basing a lot on grades and scores, and they don't have as much, they don't place as much emphasis on the professional side. So, you know, business school is really looking at what have you done in the three to five years since you've graduated college? Have you been a high performer in that area? Are you showing, you know, signs of leadership, burdening leadership, and sort of, are you ready to get to the next level in your career? And that's sort of um, who business school is targeting.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then tell me a bit about like, essentially, how are you looking to position your application, right? It sounds like having a good resume is a key part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so like I would say that if we're talking here about the full-time traditional two-year program that has the summer internship in between the two years, that's the most competitive application for business school. It's really aimed at those individuals, the three to five years of experience. So um, they are looking at sort of three- guess like different things when they look at an application first they are looking at the academic pieces right they are looking at that that category of academic is is filled up you know you have a strong college gpa you have strong test scores um every school will post the average of their gpa and the test score for the incoming class so it's pretty clear what they're expecting of you by posting that um and one of the best ways to sort of even select your school list is to identify your GPA and your test score and really look for schools that, ha- that are at the average of, of where you're coming in. Um, the second thing they're looking for is uh, this really like a prof- the professional piece, like you say, the resume. So I look at professional in two ways. The, the, what's happened so far You know, your work history is your resume and your recommendations. These are professional recommendations, Mm -hmm. people that have supervised you. These aren't college professors. So what do they have to say about working with you? What is your leadership style? Where, you know, where do you have places to grow? Um, The other aspect of professional is your career goals. So what do you want to do after business school? What's your plans? Are they relevant, but yet also ambitious? Are they achievable through a business education? Um, will our school help you get there? So really, having being able to identify a path in and you know where it's clear that business school will help you through that path. And I would say that the third thing they're looking for is really leadership. You know, this, these are leadership schools, business schools. It doesn't mean they need to train you to be a Fortune 500 leader. You could go and lead a nonprofit, but they're training you to lead. And you really need to show that you have some interest in that. So like in college, were you leading clubs? Were you leading your sports teams? Um, since you've graduated, are you doing some things outside of work with community work and and volunteering? And do you sort of step up to lead at work? Like, you know, if there's a committee going around, DEI committee, are you stepping up to lead that? Are you stepping up to lead affinity groups at work? So they really want to see that you're sort of going above and beyond in all three categories, in the academic, professional, and in leadership.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, it sounds that that actually is kind of a nice little way to delineate the next part of the conversation. I feel like academic is a bit straightforward, right? Um yeah. If you're still an undergrad, you gotta you gotta get your grades up. I think that at least I personally fell into the trap of being like, ah, kind of grades don't matter anymore. A little bit, right? And that wasn't entirely true. Uh, but if you're not an undergrad anymore and your GPA is what it is, that's kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ways to mitigate or, you know, you can make the rest of your resume stellar and it won't sink you. Mm-hmm. Um, test scores, you know, you definitely need to at least be in the 75th percentile, a.k.a. the, the you know, not in the bottom quarter mm-hmm. in in the school that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and preferably you're in the top half. And so those are kind of, I feel like those are kind of, that's 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 the academic side of things. Is there anything else that you'd include in there, or do you do you think that's probably covers that? and We can move on to the professional side. I
1: would say with the academic side too, it's the the quant is important, right? So like if I'm looking yeah, at, at the a quantator. score, yeah. So if you like take the GRE and you and you pull it into the verbal and then the quant portion, and that quant is a one seventy, like I'm really looking to see that quant be in the 160s. If your verbal's in the Mm -hmm. 150s, I'm gonna have a lot less of an issue than if it was reversed. If your quant was in the 150s and your verbal was in the 160s, I'm gonna have a hard time with that because these programs are very quantitatively heavy. You're taking finance, accounting, those are your core classes, statistics. So, you know, you really, and a lot of people are coming in with that knowledge from their, their jobs and they do that every day. So it's some, depending on the faculty member, it can move really fast. So they wanna make sure that you have you know, the quantitative aptitude. So they're looking a little closer at the quant. They're dissecting your college transcript. It's fine if you don't have that, right? So I have people that aren't history majors. They didn't take calculus. Fine. But I want to be able to see, though, that the the quant portion of whatever test you took really comes in strongly.
0: Right. Yeah, no, so that's good to point out. Um, and yeah, just good to focus on in general. Well, so then I- after academics, you've got the professional side. And I feel like this is probably where you have the most, it's like where people are going to be the most different application to application and also mm. where you have the most opportunity to stand out. And so I'm, I'm curious kind of what are things that you like to see? As an admissions officer on the professional side, and, and what are things you don't
1: like to see? Mm. Yeah, so we like this a really clean path. You graduated from college. You were probably recruited by a number of different companies, had options, um, and you've gone to work for a company where you had a strong trajectory. So whether that's a really large company, that means typically promotions at a good, swift cycle. You know, promoted at or better than your peers. Um, and if it's not a, you know, sort of traditional large company, um, then maybe there's salary increases. Maybe if you've gone and worked for a leaner company, it's fine if you weren't promoted, but your recommender can speak to the fact that like we don't have typical promotion cycles here, but you know, Tyler's a star in these ways. And that, and they do see your compensation. Um, the application does have your compensation. You're starting and ending salary. So I want to see trajectory. I want to see promotions. I want to see salary. I want to see from your recommenders, one of the questions that they ask is always, it's not just an open-ended letter. The schools ask, like, what are their strengths compared to their peers? So I want to know, you know, statements like I've worked with you know, X number of analysts over two decades of my career and Tyler shines as top 10%, Mm -hmm. that means something to me. You know, if you can Mm -hmm. be amongst a a group of very high performing individuals and you shine, that's what they're looking for. So they're looking for these people that are always outperforming themselves, you know, Um, and they ask it compared to the peers, not in a competitive way, but just to have a gauge of like seeing that you're a top performer, you know? So I would say that business schools are really going after people that are ambitious that are super driven um, that are that are feeling like an inner urge to lead or impact or do something big with their careers beyond just themselves and their own paycheck um, and that you know other people see that in them.
0: yeah, and I think that's a good segue to talk about the letters of recommendation too. Um, what are, What's your advice for getting a letter of recommendation that actually stands out? Because I think I was talking to somebody else the, the other day and they said that, you know, almost all of them feel and sound the same. So how do you get ones that are actually going to move the needle for your application?
1: what's nice about business school is it it's not open-ended, right? So they all, typically all of the schools follow the GMAT Common Letter of Recommendation, which is two questions, which is how does this person, what is this person's strengths related to their peers? And when is the time you sat down with them and gave them critical feedback and how did they respond? So like if they really truly answer these in two different ways, the recs, although they're all, I agree with that person that they're all positive because you're not gonna ask someone who's wouldn't write a positive rec these stories are all very different, right? So like, even if I'm looking at a recommendation letter for two consultants, and let's say both consultants work at like, you know, a big four and they work in digital transformation or something, those projects are gonna read different and how the person shows up as a leader or what their strengths are in those projects are gonna be different. So I feel like recommendations does, it gives me a different side to the applicant. It, It lets me see how they are um, as a third party sort of observer as not someone's own voice. And I would say, how do you make your, make your letters shine, it, like give up control of the process? Maybe. <laughs> okay. I feel like the worst letters are those where, you know, either my applicants or I can tell when I would read in admissions, I can tell when the, I could just tell with the voice of the student, it was like the same, you know, they were either the recommender was coached heavily and like asked to use certain phrasing that was the exact same phrasing in the essays. It's sort of like, no, I want to hear it from from their voice. And also, I will say they don't care who the recommender is. So I get a lot of people that come to me and they're like, my recommender was is so famous in their field for this. I'm like, I don't care what they did. Schools don't care what your recommender did. They care what you do. You know, so it doesn't matter the title of the recommender or what, I mean, they should be someone more senior than you and they should really be someone who's like storied in their career because they just have more to say, but their accolades are not on the line here. It's you.
0: Yeah. And and I think also, you know, you're better off getting a more meaningful recommendation from somebody who really knows you well than getting a recommendation that's kind of like standard from somebody who's famous, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would sometimes walk into the door of our, like, Dean of Admissions and be like, oh, so-and-so wrote a letter. Like, let's say it's like a famous household name that we'd all, and he's like, so? You know, I was just like, who cares, right? Like, I don't care. What what, did the, what was the student like? You know, what was the applicant like? Like, what did they, and and it was always so sad when it was like, wow, I really just want to know what your line supervisor says about you. I really just want to know what you're like day-to-day, how you impact the people around you.
0: Right yeah no, i think it's all great and then you know the last part we we talked about the professional um and the last part is sort of for lack of a better word the extracurricular it's not exactly how yeah. you said it but yeah um i so in that regard it's funny because i feel like you you know especially in american uh, undergraduate admissions extracurriculars are this big thing yeah. everybody's got four or five now and then you get to college and you're like Oh, so glad I don't have to do I that. Anymore, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and now I don't I, I think that it's interesting because certainly if you're applying to a graduate program that's not an MBA, the vast majority of those people actually go straight from undergrad that's to right. um to college. That's or it's right. like I, I just looked at the stats for the G R E uh for a blog post we wrote and it's seventy seven percent of people have less than a year of experience when they take the G R E. Mm, right? That so makes that means sense. Yeah. Most of those people are still going, like, basically straight out of college into grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, extracurriculars in college obviously kind of still tracks and makes sense. But when you're going into an MBA program, you're supposed to have three to five years of work experience. Mm-hmm. Most people who work at jobs don't have extracurriculars. Like, it's, it's a very mm-hmm. different universe and, mm-hmm. and environment. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, sort of, if you're thinking about taking an MBA program mm-hmm. or applying to an MBA program. You know, mm-hmm. what are some ways to integrate extracurriculars into your life and also what are the ways that what are the extracurricular activities that are actually going to move the needle, mm-hmm. right? Like if I go pick up trash on the weekends, like I I guess that's better than nothing, but I don't think <laughs> that's exciting for you, right? Um so I'm curious what you what you think.
1: Well, you should go pick up trash on the weekend, Tyler. That would be very good. Um but I I do. Yes, I get what you're saying. So I would say, you know, probably half my clients come to me with substantial extracurriculars. And these are stars, you know, these are people that since birth have been like overachieving in every way. And, you know, they're just constantly squeezing in every minute of free time with, with doing impactful work. Um, I wasn't that way. Like, I really envy them. It's amazing that they have it that together at the age of 22 to sort of graduate and not sigh, but be like, all right, I'm going to also going to go work, you know, volunteer and then be a part of this junior board. And then, you know, and, and so th- and they're involved in structured, organized um, leadership roles, you know, so whether mm-hmm. it's working for X or Y, Um, nonprofit organization, and then they make their way to the junior board or whatever, or they help fundraise, or they do the chair of the New York chapter of of X nonprofit or whatnot, I would say, you know, there are people that just really show up and that is important to them. And business schools love that, you know, because they love this commitment over time. They love that you show leadership. Let's say you come to me, I'd say, you know, good 50% of my clients come to me and say, Lindsay, I haven't done a single thing since college. I've just been so focused on work and, you know, and, and having interests outside to your point. So I'd say, okay, like, let's look at what your interests are and how can we elevate those interests? So if it's like, you know, you'd be surprised that people are sometimes kind of doing things on the side without really knowing you're doing something on the side. Like you advised your cousin on his like startup idea. And then it's like, all right, well, how can you kind of take that to the next level? Can you go, you know, speak at your, a really easy way to do it is go back to your college, return to your college. And they always want people to speak at alumni panels or like do different things for fundraising. Like that's an easy thing because you're already kind of attached to it. Like it's not a, it's not a hard ask. The other Mm -hmm. thing is look at work, you know, especially if you work for a large company, are there different affinity groups you can be a part of, lead, initiate, organize all of the large organizations have that. So you say like, if you're living at work, if you're spending 80 hours a week at work, how can you just do more at work with the leadership, just elevate it and make it more about not just your job, but about really impacting things outside of your day to day.
0: Right. Well, and I think the, um, when I think about, I have some friends that do these kind of things. and, And like you said, the majority kind of don't. When I think about the people that are doing them, they're always doing it because they actually care. Yeah. And, and they can tell a really good story around that in a way that yeah. I think that if you're just trying to do extracurriculars just to kind of have it on your resume, yeah. It's not going to be as compelling. So you really, I mean, this is the opportunity. You're an adult now. You're out of school. You can do literally anything. Yeah. Right? If you're really passionate about, you know, video games, you could like, join a club that makes video games on the side or you can help like an indie game company like with their marketing or something Mm -hmm. like it doesn't like it doesn't need to just be you know alms for the poor yeah like it can it can be related to what you want to do and you know i think tell me if i'm wrong here but i think probably bonus points if it's related to what you want to to that story of what you want to do with your business school degree afterwards, right?
1: I would say it's bonus points if it's professional. Like I would say, you know, mm-hmm. working at like a, you know, picking up the trash, like that's a, it's a kind hearted thing to do, but it doesn't really showcase your leadership skills unless you're like initiating it. You started the club, you let it, you got the groups together, you organized, you fundraised. So I, I always did really like it when those extracurriculars had some structure to them in terms of leadership. It doesn't mean it has to be a large nonprofit that you volunteer for, but that there was there was a very clear, you know, way where you showed up that that showed your leadership. That, you know, you had to deal with some conflict. You had to manage communicating to large groups, you had to manage up, you had to manage down. Like that's all that was all a little bit more interesting to me. And so other, you know, there's always really like easy lifts too would be mentorship opportunities there's tons of men go back to your college and look and see what mentorship opportunities are available um those are sort of super really easy lifts and as you're a mentor it's like well that's that's a leader in a way too in in this Mm -hmm. relationship
0: great and any any kind of closing thoughts on this topic and how to build a great mba application oh
1: my gosh we're already done
0: it can be. <laughs> what did we miss?
1: Um, what else was I gonna say about this? Like I would say that, you know, when you do put the application together, you know, you're thinking, all right, I've got the academic category, the professional category, the leadership category. I would say like, you know, it is really important that, you know, they understand you're human and that you show really the signs of uniqueness and showing the the maturity and the and the self awareness. Like I constantly have clients who said, You know what i, I didn't do super great in undergrad like a three point one g p a It's below the three point five average of this school, and it's like, well, you know, they have this section in the application that's an optional essay that's just like, explain any circumstances to us, like explain it there, be really human about what happened and explain how you've gotten better with time. Um let's say you took a six month gap um in between two jobs, like explain it to them. I feel like you don't, um, and I don't know if this is like a difference from the college admissions process where everyone felt like they had to be really perfect because every Mm -hmm. month of their life mattered because they were only 17 years old. Um, You know, they are expecting that as as you're older, you make mistakes, you have some regrets, some things happen, and they're just a lot more forgiving of it than I think people give them credit for.
0: Yeah, well, and I think it's, at the end of the day, um, college admissions, right. If you're applying to a big school, you're up against probably tens of thousands of people. Usually MBA admissions, you're up against, you know, thousands of people, right. An order of magnitude smaller. Um, so they actually are are giving some thought to what you've written, not that undergrad admissions officers aren't, but they just like, you know, I think the phrase is like, they take eight minutes an application. They don't have a ton of time. Mm -hmm. um, MBA, I think they, they can actually really kind of get a sense for you and, and your story, right? And I think just having that, having that story of like, where you've been and where you want to be is, mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And I'm being unique in the story, having the unique point of view. Sometimes people come to me and they say, I'm I'm like one of many consultants, you know, what, like, I don't have any, my stories are all the same as everyone else's, but your point of view with the story is different. What you took away from that story on that transformation project is different than what, you know, Tyler might've taken away.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly.
1: So let your unique voice shine.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you so much. This has been Jerry Snacks hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Lindsay Sage from Sage Admit. And again, Achievable has a great online GRE course that you can try for free by visiting Achievable.me, and be sure to use the code PODCAST to save 10% if you like it.